huh? Okay. The kingdom of God, we're following on in the same theme as Mark has been talking the last several weeks. Um, Today is what we call Palm Sunday. Um, Easter is a week away when Jesus died, but that's, that's our calendar. In actual fact, um, Constantine, the first Roman emperor to become a Christian, uh, messed everything up because he decided he wanted to make the day of worship Sunday to worship the sun god, which was the one he worshipped, even though he was meant to be a Christian. So we're a little bit confused. In actual fact, Passover is, is anywhere between the 25th of March and the 26th of April. So the time when Jesus had his Passover, a week after what we're celebrating today, should be sometime between the 25th of March and the 26th of April. But we'll leave that for another time to discuss that. Um, so the king enters Jerusalem on, on the day that we're talking about today, the week of, of Passover. On a foal, not a horse, Matthew 21, 1 to 11, we'll be looking at now. Jesus' disciples were expecting Jesus to be the new king because they hadn't had a proper king for 600 years. And now they had... Herod, who was nothing like a king. So they were expecting Jesus to be the next king to sit on David's throne. In all their interaction with Jesus, they were expecting him to be the one that would be crowned the king on David's throne to replace Herod. But of course, Jesus knew the real story. So as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah. And in, um, Zechariah's prophecy was actually, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. But not on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He who had, who had travelled on foot from Galilee to Bethany could have gone another two miles. He didn't need transport. But that he might enter into Jerusalem as was prophesied of him. Everything Jesus did was to fulfill prophecy from the Old Testament, which is what the Old Testament is all about. The whole of the Old Testament leads to Jesus, speaks of Jesus, demonstrates Jesus, prophesies Jesus. All the prophecies are about Jesus. And when we come to the New Testament, now, this is it being fulfilled. And this is one of the first prophecies at this time, when he was going 
to his last week. This was one of the most important ones. He fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah that he wouldn't. He wouldn't ride on a horse as a king. He would ride on a donkey as a poor person would, as a servant might. Donkeys were reserved for baggage. But he didn't choose a donkey. He chose a baby donkey that hadn't even yet been broken. Jesus' entry on a foal. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their, their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? They didn't know who he was. They were expecting a king. They had this guy on a donkey, on a baby donkey. It's usually reserved for luggage and baggage and whatever else they wanted to carry. The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee. In Matthew's Gospel, he reports Jesus' entry into Jerusalem as a king more fully than the other three Gospels. Typically, only Matthew, in Matthew 21, 1-5, refers to two animals, a colt and its foal. Thus, showing Jesus' action that day was a literal fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. <clears throat> Zechariah 9, 9, 9, chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus knew that the religious leaders were going to arrest him and condemn him, mock and scourge him, and deliver him to the Romans for crucifixion. Matthew 20, 18, and 19. Yet he had the courage to not only enter Jerusalem, but to enter in as public a way as possible. This contrast with his previous pattern of suppressing publicity. However, if he'd wanted publicity, it would have happened long ago and on many occasions. Jesus could not have chosen a more dramatic moment. It was into a city surging with people, keyed up with religious expectations that he came, as cited in Barclay's commentary. The applause and the crowds were not manipulated. They would have occurred in any case. But to ride on a colt, because it was planned, could only be an acted parable, a deliberate act of self-disclosure. Secrecy was being lifted, as cited in Carson's commentary. Jesus came to Jerusalem in humility, yet with appropriate dignity. Instead of coming on a horse as a conquering general, he came on a colt, as was customary for royalty. He came to Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace. Asses were of old beasts that great persons used to ride on. Judges 10, 4 and 12, 14. But after Solomon's time, the Jews got a breed of horses. So only poor people rode on asses. But mostly they were reserved for burdens, as cited in Paul. Say that the Lord needs them. If anyone asks, why do you want them? Not for any or because of weariness. He wasn't tired. He who had traveled on foot from Galilee to Bethany could have gone another two miles, but that he might enter into Jerusalem as was prophesied of him. He had to fulfill prophecy. That was his destiny. And this was one of the prophecies about him. So he had to do this, as cited in Paul. 
That's fine. Earlier in his gospel, 2018 to 19, Matthew recalls that on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life, Matthew 20, 18 to 19. I'm sure the disciples were horrified to hear this and probably tried to dissuade Jesus from going, as they had before concerning other perilous and dangerous visits to various places. They were fearful for him and for themselves. However, Jesus knew that this was the reason he had been born, and it was his responsibility on behalf of the kingdom. We as Christians, delivered from eternal death by his sacrifice and with the Holy Spirit to bring us into all truth, should be eternally grateful that Jesus was faithful to his calling, which is why we gather every Sunday, and especially at this time to remember what he did. I mentioned earlier that there are differences between the gospel accounts that sometimes seem to contradict each other. In fact, the gospels are each written from a specific viewpoint, often including accounts and facts that are either different in each gospel or in fact sometimes completely omitted from gospel to gospel. However, this is not a mistake. In fact, the gospel writers who accompanied Jesus on his travels and were discipled by him are each writing about a specific different side or character of Jesus that they had observed. And there is one for each gospel account. Have you noticed that there's a difference when you read the gospels? It's a bit difficult because you read Matthew and then you go to Luke and you don't think, well, Matthew said this about that. We just read it and we think, oh, well, this is different. This is different. We don't think about it. There's a very good reason why they're different. Each writer has his own basic account of Jesus and all that he experienced or suffered or said or did from a specific viewpoint. Each is writing about a specific different side or character of Jesus that they had observed. Jesus has, in fact four characters or four sides to him now that might shock you when I was first introduced to this book it had only just come out and one of our home group members brought it to us one day we were going to have a meeting one of Jackie Pullinger's teaching meetings and when she came to the meeting I had this in my hand and she said what's that so I showed her she said, throw that away. I said, well, it, it, I, haven't looked, I haven't read it yet, but I've read the back and it, you know, it looks quite good. So she looked at it herself. And when she read it, this version has on the front by Jackie Pullinger, this would be my one book apart from the Bible. That's how valuable this, this, this book is. So the four characters are mentioned in Ezekiel 1 to 10. Can we have the last slide, please? You haven't got that one? Okay. 
How disappointing. So, we'll read it this way then. Ezekiel had, a, had a, a prophecy. This is a picture of his prophecy, which you won't be able to, won't be able to see. It should be on the screen. He didn't understand what it was, but he told people about it. This, this shows, and you've probably read the prophecy and skipped over it because you didn't understand what he was talking about. But he's talking about this thing he saw in the sky, this, this, this sort of vehicle that had wheels and was going round and had four creatures, or had a creature with four faces, and he described the faces. The king was a lion, and this is the gospel according to Matthew. Most of the things that Matthew writes about are slanted towards looking at Jesus as a king and how he would function. So the things he did were the things a king did. The other one was a, was a human being, uh, sorry, a suffering servant, the ox, or the, I want to call it a cow. No, what's the other word for a cow? A bull. A bull, a bull is sacrificed in the arena in, in, in Spain, isn't it? Still today. This is the suffering servant. When you read the Gospel of Mark, you will see that Mark is saying about Jesus, he stopped and spoke to women. He served people. He allowed children to come to him. He was serving them. And that's mostly what Mark concentrates on. He doesn't do the things that Matthew said. He doesn't mention those hardly at all. If he does, he skips over them. But he mentions lots of things to do with Jesus' human side, where he could understand humanity, whereas the king is the king of the kingdom. He's the one who commands the oceans, commands the waves, commands the storm. In Luke's gospel, in the picture, it's a human being. And this is Jesus, the perfect human being. And the last one is an eagle. The eagle represents normally the Holy Spirit because it's, it's rising high in the sky. And this is how we talk about the Holy Spirit as an eagle. There's a good song about mount on wings like eagles. Yeah. David Ruth? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Is it, was it David Ruth? Are you saying no or you don't know? <laughs> yeah, I, th I think. Anyway, I speak under correction. It's a fabulous song. It really brings tears to my eyes. So this is the gospel according to John. It's all about miracles and things that the Holy Spirit does. It's not about the other things. It's not about the human person. It's not about the servant. It's not about the king. It's about the eagle that soars in the sky, the Holy Spirit, the power of God. And it's all about miracles. So now you can see why I chose, why I chose gospel's version. Uh, sorry. Matthew's Gospel version for this particular message. Because it's about the king. And today, in our 
history books, our chronology, we're, we're looking at Jesus as he enters Jerusalem as the king, proceeding towards the end of the week when he's going to be crucified. So have a look at the Gospels for yourself and compare them if you can. You won't regret it. But to assist in your discovery, I want to encourage you to get a copy of this book. You won't regret it. It's the most incredible book. And it will open up Jesus to you in three different ways to the way you look at him now. Or maybe four if you look at him in slightly different ways at different times. But this will introduce you to everything. It's one of the most important sources of biblical understanding of the Gospels and it will also guide you into understanding of the Old Testament as well. It's in two parts, the New Testament and the Old Testament. So it actually looks at the Old Testament and shows you how Jesus is being um, foretold about in the Old Testament. And it all points to Jesus. So, some questions. Has Jesus ever asked you to do something but you didn't know why? Whether you did it or not doesn't matter. The question is, did you know why? Or did you wonder, why why is he asking me that? Why do you think he did this? Consider the disciples who were asked to fetch a donkey and it's foal for him, and Matthew did not record that they asked why, or that Jesus explained why. He just said, go and do it. They were walking. Why would he suddenly want a donkey? It was to fulfill the prophecy, but they didn't know that. Second question, what do you think of the concept that Jesus has four characters? Now, I've just thrown this out there now. This may worry you. I'm very sorry if it worries you. But please look into it for yourself and come to a conclusion. But it would be good to discuss it now. Do you consider that the Old Testament is maybe not so relevant today? Well, I guess we wouldn't reject Psalms, would we? Psalms is a good book to read, good book to have, good book to pray with. But Revelation, I like it, but I don't know. Maybe some people say, well, a load of rubbish. I don't want to read Revelation. Sorry? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everything in the New Testament is talking about what started in the Old Testament. How does the idea that the Old Testament mostly foreshadows the coming of Jesus, his purpose and his life and subsequent death? Pray for one another about anything that comes out of your discussions of the above.